Sometimes in ministry, when ministry is your paid occupation, uh, intentional seasons or times of ministry, uh, perhaps special events where you're putting in a lot of energy, will, will come along. And sometimes in the middle of those events, in which you have planned uh, a lot for, you'll, you'll experience what I would just call distractions. I believe that we have an enemy who wants us to uh, be challenged and lose our focus when we're trying uh, really hard to uh, share the gospel or to encourage people. And I remember uh, one time I got, a, I got a phone call during one of these events in which I had put uh, a lot of time and energy uh, into planning. And this person on the other end, uh, they, they basically they wanted money. And I didn't know who they were, and they said, hey, could you, and it was a lot of money. It wasn't just 10 bucks or 20 bucks. They were looking for some sort of a rent payment or house payment. I didn't have any idea who they were, and I said, I said no, I don't think that we're going to be able to help you with that. And they, they replied uh, to me with um, some words that I won't repeat right now, but I remember hearing those words. I remember that phone call, and that, oh, well, what do you mean you're a church and you don't give people money? you're such a, or whatever, and they filled in the blank with this stuff, and I was like, well, that got so personal, like, so fast with somebody on the phone that I didn't even know, and, and I remember that. I remember that call where somebody, probably out of their own hurt and frustration, maybe a desperate time in their life, spoke something about me. <laughs> when they say, you're such a, that's a personal statement. You are. And I want you to think, maybe you're already there. You think about a time when someone has proclaimed something about you. Maybe it was something that hurt you or that you remember as a, a negative. It was really difficult. Uh, maybe it was something that was really positive and you remember a specific time of encouragement. I want you to pay attention as we go throughout uh, a quick summary of these verses this morning. What is Jesus proclaiming over those who choose to follow him? You are the salt of the earth. All right, we want to see a couple things about this idea that Jesus calls us salt. So um, obviously there's two main things. Verse 13 is salt, and then in 14 uh, through 16 is light. And so we're going to talk just a little bit about salt. There's a couple things uh, that salt does. Uh, as we think about salt, uh, salt is probably most commonly used for taste on food. It sits on our table and we'll add it or it sits by our stove and we'll add it when we're cooking and it's designed to flavor. And, and Jesus certainly uh, has that in mind here. Okay, uh, you, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? We'll talk about that in a minute. But salt also preserves. I want you to know that. Salt was used in their culture as a preservative for certain kinds of food. They didn't have all the advanced uh, preservation of food that we have. And salt was one thing that they would try uh, to use. I couldn't go through planning this uh, sermon today, these thoughts about Jesus telling us that we're salt, without thinking about french fries. I'm usually pretty shallow uh, <laughs> 
when it comes to the things that I think about, and I, you know, you do the Beatitudes, it talks about hunger and thirst for righteousness. I got hungry, and I got to thinking about salt, and I got thinking about french fries. Now, I don't know, uh, for those of you that pay attention to ad campaigns and all this kind of thing that goes on, but Wendy's on the right is uh, talking about they have, uh, their fries are preferred two to one over McDonald's or something like that. They have these fresh fries or whatever they are, and they're trying to be something that, and make all these claims. They're, they're like, they're really good. And they're not. <laughs> That's an objective statement. We, we, our group that we went Christmas caroling back in December, we were outside one of the places and uh, we, we were getting ready to go in to sing and we thought, hey, after we're done, let's go get some of those Wendy's fries. They're talking about them. Maybe they're good. We'll, we'll, so we got on the phone. That's what you do these days. You get on your phone, you type in your order, and you press go, and, and then it goes, and, and that's what you do. And so we went and we got these fries, and I was like, I don't know who would prefer these over McDonald's. I don't know, but they're wrong. <laughs> it's not even close. And so I, I put a big thing on there, just in case you're wondering or you're viewing from home this morning, you're not quite getting the idea. Maybe the big red, will give you the idea this, I mean, Jesus talks about losing your saltiness. Wendy's never had any to begin with. Okay? So let's start a little bit lighthearted here. It's probably part of my goal, but is, Jesus is talking about, about taste. If salt has lost its taste. And so we want to we think, think about salt. Okay? The idea of taste and losing it is, is right on the page. I'm not going to... A struggle through helping you understand this if you're listening this morning if you're awake to these realities these truths if you've read these verses you're going to be able to grasp them they're very simple illustrations and we'll talk about that as we go along uh, salt of course as i mentioned also used as uh, a pre preservative in addition to uh, flavor but here's the thing if you wanted to make the wendy's fries taste at least edible then you would take your salt shaker and you would like dump some salt. You would do something intentional. And that's a word that's in the title of the sermon today, intentional living. Salt, the application of salt, whether preservative or flavor, is an intentional thing. Now, I challenge you in the beginning to think about somebody who told you you are. Right? Something encouraging or something hurtful. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. This is a type of, uh, the tense of this verb is called the indicative. And you have to know what that means. <laughs> but it indicates what is going on. Jesus is indicating a reality about his disciples, that they are the salt of the earth. I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. They are the salt of the earth. All right, so if we think about salt preserving, we think about disciples being salt, flavoring the world, flavoring the lives, the atmosphere around them. Salt also preserves, so committed disciples preserve kingdom principles. Now, you don't see this in verse 13, but if you back up into the verses that we've already studied, uh, Jesus gives eight statements called the Beatitudes, and they go from uh, verse 3 uh, down here to verse 11. 
we get these statements about blessing. And there's kingdom principles. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That idea for, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those, verse 10, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting, persecution, these, these attitudes that we, that we take on and are a part of us, they, they challenge us and they change us. And so that's, in, in that sense, let's just make a link. Jesus continues right on past persecution and the encouragement to rejoice and be glad even when you're persecuted. And he starts talking about salt. You're the salt of the earth. Okay, and so we get this idea that uh, disciples who are salty, who are representing Jesus, are not going to be happy with status quo. If you're not a believer, they're going to ask you about it. They're going to be salt. They're going to try to flavor your life with joy in Jesus, that's what disciples are going to do. If you are down, if you are struggling, those disciples are going to come along and invite the presence of God into your season of difficulty. They're going to try to help or uh, be merciful to you and alleviate that position of suffering or struggle. Uh, those are the types of things that Jesus taught his disciples about. And, and so I don't want to treat salt and light differently because it's a different heading above 13 <laughs> in your Bible, I want it to link up. Jesus kept teaching, and the, the next illustration he gave was, was salt. And salty disciples are going to be proactive. Salt is an intentional decision. They preserve kingdom of God principles, which often conflict with earthly kingdom principles. This doesn't mean that we sell ourselves out in our primary interest in political or governmental kingdoms. Our primary interest, Jesus told Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If we believe in Jesus Christ and we follow him and we are truly his disciples, we are not of this world. Our kingdom does not belong on this earth. It exists here, but it primarily will exist forever and ever. Right? So we're dealing with realities, salt-preserving kingdom principles that are uh, bigger than our world. Now, Jesus gives a warning. This isn't my warning. This is what Jesus says. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. you're listening today maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you remember a time in your life where you had more zeal for Jesus or for his kingdom or for growth or for encouraging others or for serving the Lord either personally in your day-to-day -day life or publicly I hope this will challenge you I hope the warning Jesus gives will speak it can be an encouraging thing for God to correct us. It's a warning nonetheless. Why is that? Because we all know that it's discouraging. When people say they're a disciple of Jesus and make a public proclamation of that, 
and then they don't live like it. And they don't follow through on that commitment. And tell some truth. It gets really sticky when that happens. Those who invested in that person feel it and experience hurt. Often those people get judged or the person themselves get judged or the pastor who did the baptism gets judged. Like This is reality. It's disappointing and it's discouraging when that happens. And so I don't give a warning today to, to stir up past hurts. But if you're listening today and you can identify with this, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and, and do some work and, and accept that correction. Maybe you're just in the right place at the, at the right time. God can restore. He always offers that. He's gracious to us and loves us. Okay, But the warning is to not lose the saltiness in the first place. Fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Fifteen, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I told you that if you're paying attention and you're at least trying, You'll, you'll read this, and I hope I don't have to do a whole lot of explaining. This is a pretty easy one, just to understand the basic meaning of what's going on. Um, I drove into the city of Columbus, Ohio, yesterday morning from the suburbs and approached and got to the point where you could see the city. Well, guess what? You can, as you drive up to a city, you can see the city. Right? You can see all the buildings when you get to that certain point in the trip. If you've driven on 77 from Akron toward Cleveland, I don't know exactly where it is, but you come around maybe a little bit of a bend, and there's the city. And you can notice it. And it's even in the daytime, it's, it's noticeable. Even more so at nighttime, if you're driving along a dark place, and all of a sudden you get to the city, boom! Look at all this light! Look at all this stuff! Look at these buildings! Look at all this stuff that's going on! It's very noticeable. It was in their day, too. Okay, they didn't have all the buildings and the, the modern lights and all that stuff, but cities would have been a place where more light would have been generated and would have been more noticeable place in the daytime and, and certainly in the nighttime as well. Cities are easy to see. Uh, so a city set on a hill, even higher, is even more noticeable. It can't be hidden. This is all very easy for us to stand, it's very obvious. You, if you light a lamp, you don't put it under a basket <laughs> to hide it. We said the children's song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. I, I turned the light on for a purpose. Now, some of you will grumble that if you have children, they don't know how to turn the lights off, all right? But we turn it on for a purpose. We don't, we don't hide it. You put it out so it gives light to all in the house. So I'm kind of struggling through this. And uh, I, I, sometimes I'll just say like the most obvious things. And, and you know, somebody in our house will look at me and be like, hey, well, duh. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't want to take the word of God and, and say, what well, you know, we know it all. But this is, this is good. Uh, God is meeting us on a level that we can understand. We say, okay, duh, this makes sense. 
The city is easy to see. It's bright at nighttime. And we don't take a light and hide it under a basket. We take it so, and use it so it can, be, it can be seen. Same idea with the verb here. You are the light of the world. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is training for people who were following Jesus. And he tells them, you are the light of the world. Right before this, I'll mention again, those living blessed lives would be persecuted. Their lives would stand out in a way not always welcome in this world. Light. We think about disciple-making. We don't make disciples by hiding from people who need to know Jesus. It's hard to be the light of the world if the light all congregates in one place and never goes where there's darkness. We just follow the illustration that Jesus gives us. We influence people who need to hear about Jesus. We influence people who are lost without Jesus by being around them. This is a theme that is throughout Scripture. Here in Romans 2, uh, we see a reference to the Jewish people. Okay, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. And so the Jews thought that by themselves, as a called out people of God, they were a light to those around them. In some senses, that was true. But Paul was using to contrast that with the believer uh, in Jesus. Now here in John chapter 8, Jesus himself says, look, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here is encouragement to people a few decades after Jesus taught, encouragement to people beginning to gather in locations as churches, and so to the churches at Ephesus, Paul wrote this, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. All right, three examples of light. Jesus teaches it. It's encouragement to the disciples, and, and right here in Matthew today, I'm just showing you this so we don't have any hesitation to understand this is a, a theme that goes throughout Scripture. It's always here for us. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, we shine the light. We, if we exist as a light and never go to the darkness, we're not grasping the whole of this. It's one thing to understand we are salt. We are light. Those verbs indicate what we are. But there's another verb in 16, and it takes on a different type of verb. What's it say? In the same way, let your light shine before others. This is an imperative. This is a command. Go and do this. So in one sense, Jesus is telling, this is what you are. In another sense, here in verse 16, he then says, this is what you do. So you go 
and you shine the light. And here's what I want us to think about intentionality. One of the things that is unique about me when I work in the kitchen, whether I'm, uh, whether I'm cooking or whether I'm doing the dishes or whatever I'm doing, uh, I, I want light. I like to be able to see what I'm doing. So I'll turn the light on above the stovetop so I can see what's in the skillet and see what's going on. Or uh, sometimes I do the dishes in the morning and we have a light that is right over our sink because uh, who wants to get blamed for missing that, that spot of you know, gunk in the pan? I want to get blamed for that. I want to see it. <laughs> right? And so I make an intentional decision to turn on that light so I can kind of see what's going on in there. And it's the intentionality to obey this imperative that we're after. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. What is going to happen when we do that? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, we know that trying to preserve kingdom principles will bring persecution. But these words that Jesus gives are also very encouraging. If we will obey him, if we will walk, if we will salt the earth, and if we will light the earth, if those are the things we are, and we obey, and we say, I will, Lord, I will do my best to let my light shine, then there, there will be people who respond. There will be situations that develop where, where we see God working and giving him glory, where people will recognize the things that we're doing to try to help them and love them, and they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That's what happens when we shine the light. We don't want to be dim. Or worse, we don't want to snuff our light out and put it under a basket or a bushel. Is it easy? For people to see you making an intentional decision to shine your light. I think of intentionality, I think of light, I think of the scriptures that Joe read for us about Jesus in uh, John chapter 1 and 1 John. God made an intentional decision to send Jesus to this dark world. It feels like Christmas. Jesus did that. He sent us. He, he came from heaven, made an intentional decision to come here didn't try to save us from far away saved us by coming here that's in intentionality are we willing to do that um, let me ask a question maybe you're listening today and you you haven't committed to following Jesus maybe you feel like your your life is a little bit in darkness what you think about that you can respond to Jesus light can can flood your, your life into the depths of all that you are, and it can happen now. <laughs> if you respond and you ask God for forgiveness and, and you say, I, I can't earn my way to heaven and, and I trust in what Jesus has done for me and I want to follow him with my life and make him the, the king. I, I want to be light and, and salt and, and I, I need the grace of God in my life. He will change your life literally like now. That's what God does. Praise the Lord. So first of all, square that. Second of all, let's evaluate. Can the world see our light? Think about it as individuals. Think about your family, your rhythms, 
Are you in a place where people are seeing your light? Is there intentionality where you are shining light to others? Let's think about as a local church, how are we shining light to the city, the community of Kenmore around us? Great thoughts. We don't want the light to dim. We don't want it to be hidden away. Whether salt that has lost its taste or light that is uh, hidden, I hope that it's a challenge. This could be a day, a, a, perhaps a season, in going through this, this series of intentional living for Jesus. A fresh passion, fresh obedience to his commands, fresh submission to Jesus' role in our lives as our king, our commitment to his kingdom and, and their principles. Okay? These commands are not character suggestions. They're not, oh, you might make a good light, or you might make a good salt, or so you, might, you might do a good job of being flavor. If you're following Jesus, you are salt. You are light. Let us hear that imperative, that directive, that command. And let's be encouraged to live with intentionality. Okay? Encouraged to intentionally pursue the kingdom of God. I don't know exactly how that will look in your life. Could be a step toward Jesus. Could be a step toward serving. Could be a step toward helping someone. Could be a step toward sharing the gospel with someone or learning how to pray for people that don't know Jesus. God wants our hearts. He wants disciples who are not neutralized by the world around us, that we don't look so much like the culture. No, we flavor and we light. And we do so with an intentionality that shows who Jesus is. It says we're a part of that kingdom. And it's not anchored here in this world.